It's time for the December 8, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history broadcasting on Take It In The Ear Day from the <laughs> University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. I'm Claudia Shambaugh. And as always, the boy, girl, other half striptease god of sexual frustration, Mahler, the fake news dog. That's the bark for that hyphenated line. All right, Mahler, you're just a modern guy, aren't you, boy? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today we'll be talking about better coffee, old organs, Anthrobots, wine fraud, Junior Walker and the All-Stars, and so much more. But first, from Merriam-Webster. Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, you know, not not the person. Merriam-Webster named its words of the year, which are based on page hits and popular searches, to Merriam-Webster's website. And the winner for the word of the year 2023 is... Wow, very good. Authentic. Now, this is based on hits, so you can't blame Merriam-Webster. They're not choosing what's the best word. This is just the most looked-up word. I guess people are confused as to what is authentic. They are very confused. (laughs) The runner-up to authentic is riz. That would mean a romantic appeal or charm. Riz up that doggy. Followed by deep fake coronation dystopian EGOT. That is, if you're an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, or Tony Award winner, like. Uh, so Viola. EGOT was looked up? Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, X. I guess Elon gave them some money at Merriam Webster. But how do you look up X, really? And In- how do you spell it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is that's a good one for Elon, you know. It should just be EX. Implode. That was of course when the submarine that uh Oh yeah. submersible attempting to visit the Titanic went down. I know that happened this year. I'm surprised that the people didn't know what implode means, but then again, maybe they were just aghast at what had happened. They read the headline and they said, "Implode?" Hmm. Maybe they mean something else. Or they want to see how much physics they'd get into one definition. Yeah. Doppelganger. Covenant indict. We know how that one went. Elemental and dead name. But doppelganger, that's a title. Naomi Wolf, because she has a doppelganger. Yeah, that's what was going on there. So the people probably want to figure out. All these are quick answers to complicated things. Yep. These definitions. It's kind of curious that these are the words... They get the most, but I, I guess not. I wonder if they're looking it up because they don't know the name of the word or they're curious about how Merriam-Webster would define them. How up-to-date with artificial intelligence, deepfakes becoming more and more and more a thing. Like Mahler himself, who's... Yeah. He you. is. He is a deepfake. Actually, yeah. I don't have to look that up. I know. Woof. Shut up. Okay. Oh. From Smithsonian Magazine, you feel your eyes getting heavy, (laughs) your mind drowsy. (sighs) Suddenly you snap into a very attentive wakefulness. You've fallen into a micro-sleep. 
a sleep episode that lasts 15 seconds or less in which people lose conscious control of their performance. Microsleeps don't make us feel rested like longer periods of uninterrupted sleep would, yet a new study shows that nesting chin-strap penguins microsleep more than 10,000 times a day, a continual series of doses that last just four seconds but add up to more than 11 hours of sleep. That's pretty incredible. I, that it's an is amazing. Consciousness, you know. Incredibly, microsleeping seems to work for these penguins. A new study showed that chin strap penguin microsleeping may be driven by environmental factors on King George Island off Antarctica, where the chin straps flock together to incubate eggs and protect their young from predators. When we do that, yeah. that you say it's not very helpful. It's I think it's because it always ends in a, a guilt-driven response, like. Well, Ooh. I just nodded off in the middle of a talk. How much did I miss? How much did I miss or did anybody see me do my yeah. micro sleep? Yeah. I think that's what makes it less productive as sleep goes. Yeah. And the King George Island penguins, nobody's watching them. They're expecting them to go into micro sleep. So there's a difference in culture. That happens in when you're... <laughs> that's true. <laughs> One thing is you're wondering what you missed. And especially if you're driving. Oh. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the way. Dread. Perhaps. That's why. From Cosmos magazine, U.S. chemists teamed up with volcanologists to identify the best way to grind your coffee beans. Now, this is a curious story. To Very. Me. And I'll tell you why after I get through this. During grinding, coffee particles can clump together and stick to the grinder. This happens because as the beans fracture and rub against each other, they generate static electricity. Volcanologists were called into the study because they study similar electrification processes during volcanic eruptions. The study found that a small amount of water sprayed onto the coffee beans, just a spritz, immediately before grinding, means less coffee is wasted with less mess to clean up. And they also found that grinding with a spritz of water resulted in a longer extraction time, a stronger brew, and higher concentrations of favorable flavors. My first question is, is you're spraying water, not a lot, but a mist. Yeah, you got to get the right spritzer, yeah, the a, right a dispersion. Of, yeah, a mist of water, <laughs> a mist of water onto your coffee beans. And I would do it before you put it into the grinder, I would think. Right. Maybe even toss it like a salad dressing, you know, and just very light. Because I would imagine, too, you put any water into that grinder, unless you plan on cleaning your grinder every single day, which is... I, I think kind of unheard of. I don't know if I ever clean my grinder very much. I give it a nice knock, but not a, a clean. And you're putting water in there. I would think eventually you might get a little bit of mold going on. Especially if you do it the way they're saying, oh, just put it in the grinder and spritz the coffee. Yeah, there there's some missing kind of instructions in that, though. But we all would like to get those properties that you list for us after the brew is brewed yeah i like the properties i just don't know about the process but, but it's like there's a missing step is how much where at what's what time and that means you need one more thing you need a spritz around you have one in your kitchen right now a spritz no i don't, I don't have a spritz so you get it one more thing well here's a trick i learned from martin dietrich who i used to oh, the, hang out the with panzer tank driver ago. No, no, that's that's Carl, his father. Okay, you, yeah. oh, the the son of the driver. Carl was over there in Germany in World War II, and and Martin 
uh, was born, I think, in uh, Guatemala. In, oh, that's right. Either that that's or, where the or, bean started. Yeah, I think so. I might be wrong in where you... Sorry, Martin, if you're listening. Sorry. But, but Martin told me and taught me that the best way to get the flavor out of the coffee is the first pour when you're, when you're dripping coffee, just get the beans wet. Don't pour it. Just get them to oh, soak. Oh, there's the spritz. Yeah, there's the spritz. Now, they're saying it's an electrification process during the grinding. But his theory was that you just pour a little bit of water on these guys. You're not pouring the water through them. They puff out now. They got some water on them. Okay. And you get them nice and damp. You let it sit just a little bit to be sure it's soaked all the way through all the nice little beans. You might just get a, a dripping on the bottom, in the cup itself. Okay. So there's not much water going through. All right. Okay. And then you pour the... the uh, in earnest. Then you pour in earnest. And I find it's real nice. It also, as opposed to just pouring right away straight through, it seems to get a nice foam on it. And the foam is just wonderful because you can actually, you can start smelling the coffee at that point. And it looks like you're in a ritzy place. Yeah. And you're just in the privacy of your own home. That's right. Okay. If you enjoy an authentic, strong cup of coffee that puts an end to your bothersome micro-sleeping, may I recommend a donation to KUCI? Because we do, too. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI 88.9. Very nice. From Los Angeles Times. At a massive dairy farm in the San Joaquin Valley, nearly 14,000 Holstein cows crane their necks through feeding stalls and gnaw on alfalfa. Meanwhile, close to their hooves, a sprinkler system activates and flushes the herd's manure into nearby sewer grates. From there, the waste courses through a network of pipes and into an enormous lagoon covered by a thick vinyl tarp. This enclosed pool is known as a digester, and it's the cornerstone of California's bid to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from its $7.5 billion dairy industry. California, the nation's leading dairy-producing state, is home to 1.7 million milk cows, which belch and poop methane, a potent greenhouse gas capable of warming the atmosphere 80 times more than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period. Instead of allowing methane from cattle waste to escape into the atmosphere, digesters harvest the gas from manure so it can be used to fuel heavy-duty trucks, generate electricity, or supply gas furnaces and stoves. But while boosters say the technology has already helped the industry achieve 22% of its needed emissions reductions, the facilities are coming under increasing fire from critics who say they spew lung-damaging pollution in local communities and seriously undermine the state's net-zero carbon goals. Methane is not some unavoidable waste product that we need to capture and do something with, said Sarah Gerson, a senior attorney with Earth Justice. The state's approach, she said, creates a perverse incentive for people to not only continue emitting methane, but ramp up how much methane is getting generated at their facility. Now, I see your point completely. I First thing I would say is just don't eat so much beef. We're going through all or of these. Cheese. Or cheese. Yeah. That is actually it. And you've talked about that on Weekly Signals. Yeah. Mike seemed, and you. Yep. 
But I'll talk about it again. Yeah. It just seems we're approaching these problems. It's the end of pipe. Yeah. Let's go at the front of the pipe. Exactly. Demand for the boof. From Canary Magazine, last week the California Solar and Storage Association unveiled data showing a 77 to 85 percent drop in rooftop solar projects since April. That's when the California Public Utilities Commission's controversial net metering 3.0 decision, which cuts about one-third to one-half of the compensation value of newly installed solar systems for household compared to what they could have received under the state's prior net metering regime, went into effect. So we're talking about the compensation that people got for having solar panels, and now that they've cut that, Nobody wants solar panels. Anymore. I saw that meeting. Yeah, the one where they cut the it. Public, com- yeah. yeah. The fix was in, and there were so many people giving comments. This was a remote kind of a commission meeting, and then every single commissioner spoke from prepared remarks. So oh. there was not even a nod to the highly proportionate contributors uh-huh. against the change in this metering schedule. They could have at least acknowledged some of the points made, but no, they went straight to droning into their prepared remarks. It was pretty bad. It was a real top-down thing, and that exemplified they got the word. The governor said, we're going to redirect our incentives. And there is an explanation, a very succinct one is, Gavin Newsom wants tech batteries titans to support his national leadership aspirations. So he had to switch all these incentives to gain their support for his long-term whatever plans. So his idea of solar power is... Storage, batteries. Yeah. He wants batteries up and running. So he's working at the market for the batteries, whichever scale. The batteries allow for storage so that what they call the duck curve, where that you got so much of a load at certain hours of the day but the demand is later in the day. So the storage battery allows you to flatten that curve. So it's a steadier supply, but it's very difficult. We're going to have so many households that won't qualify for that expenditure. Yeah, especially when we put it along for so long, you think there'd be a longer period of transition since people invested a lot in this technology. They can't afford the batteries at this point in time. They can't. No, no. It's a big, big, big proposition. And solar installers in the state are forecasting that 17,000 jobs will disappear by the end of 2023, which amounts to roughly 22% of the state's solar workforce. Most of the jobs are in installation, where workers earn an average of $70,000 per year. From Grist Magazine, over the past two years, government officials of the Marshall Islands have fanned out across the country to examine how Marshallese communities are experiencing and coping with climate change. They found that a combination of rapid sea level rise and drought has already made life untenable for many of the country's 42,000 residents, especially at outlying adults. The survey was part of a five-year effort by the Marshall Islands to craft a sweeping adaptation strategy for the country's response to the threat of climate change. The plan calls for tens of billions of dollars of new spending to fortify low-lying islands and secure water supplies and shows that the islands can remain livable well into the next century, but only if developed countries are willing to help. The Marshall Islands faces at least two feet of sea level rise by the end of the century. 
under the worst projections, which predict more than six feet of sea level rise by 2150, many islands and atolls would disappear underwater entirely. But more than 99% of the interviewed residents rejected the idea of migration from the island. As one respondent put it to an interviewer, we will die here. That's and the way that's, they feel now, I guess, and I understand that. Right. I, you got to wonder how it's going to be with the war of attrition with the sea. And I know when you're putting this topic up, you're thinking of every low-lying settlement all over the world. Yeah. Yep. This is not just 42,000 people. From the Associated Press, the president of COP28, Sultan al-Jaber, claimed there is no science indicating that a phase-out of fossil fuels is needed to restrict global heating to 1.5 degrees centigrade. Al-Jaber also said a phase-out of fossil fuels would not allow sustainable development unless you want to take the world back into the caves. That's the way he put it. The comments were incredibly concerning and verging on climate denial, scientists said, and they were at odds with the position of the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. As well as running COP28 in Dubai, Al-Jaber is also the chief executive of United Arab Emirates state oil company ADNOC, which is a serious conflict of interest. More than 100 countries already support a phase-out of fossil fuels and whether the final COP agreement COP28 agreement calls for this or uses weaker language such as a phase down instead of phase out is one of the most fiercely fought issues at the summit and may be the key determinant of its success. And this is a record number of petrochemical lobbyists present at a COP meeting. So it was pretty transparent who was coming to congregate about the petrochemical portfolio. Meanwhile, from the Financial Times, with five days left at COP28, it ends December 12th, the jury is still out on whether this year's UN climate talks will achieve real progress to address climate change. But one thing is clear, nuclear power is on the table. The low-carbon fuel has received an unprecedented amount of attention at this year's gathering, with nearly two dozen countries, including the U.S., U.K., and United Arab Emirates signing a declaration over the weekend to triple nuclear energy by mid-century. Whether the world can deliver on these nuclear promises, however, is questionable. Nuclear power is notorious for high construction costs and lengthy project timelines, not to mention hazardous waste. The U.S. is the global leader in nuclear power, generating nearly a third of the world's production. Biden's signature climate law, the Inflation Reduction Act, included a 30% tax credit to offset the price of deploying nuclear power. While attention has been focused on small modular reactors to drive down construction costs and timelines for nuclear, prospects for SMRs, that's what they're called, remain questionable and are unlikely to be scaled down before 2030. In terms of nuclear being able to play a role in contributing to decarbonization efforts, we were sort of running out of runway, said a nuclear energy official. There is an agreement that came out sometime yesterday. So there's a geopolitical dynamic going on agreement with the signatories for yeah. the, the, nuclear, uh, yes. the nuclear option. I guess that you can't say that without <laughs> sounding like Mitch McConnell. So the 
the Russians are trying to score some global leader points by being a part of this whole agreement and everybody's saying, look at the unanimity here. So there's that going on. They want to score those points, but the runway is a problem. And the runway was decided in the past with the earlier designs of nuclear power plants. So we could unspool all that and it it went down a different path. It would be a longer runway today where technology could be online and there would be that mix of sustainable energy. What we do with the short runway, that's that's a big problem right there. The existing models have discredited that energy source. Yeah. Had there been different models, we would be able to now be more accepting of that. We'd understand that in the scheme of things. Some people don't, they don't even want to hear that it's an option. And I, I understand that because it's been a discredited energy yeah. source. But I think that it is an important one to consider if we looked at a different way of developing that nuclear power. There are benign ways to do that. There is a safety record that needs close, intellectually honest consideration. There aren't that many fatalities associated with nuclear power. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Yeah. KUCI. Right. Woof, woof. From Scientific American, hydrogen gas is a carbon-free energy source that can be burned in place of fossil fuels, but its most common production method relies on methane, a potent greenhouse gas. Now researchers have found a cleaner and, in theory, profitable way to make hydrogen gas from waste plastic. The process also generates graphene, an extremely valuable ultra-thin carbon material used in products like electronics, concrete, and car parts. The hydrogen-generating technique works with mixed plastic waste and could also theoretically work for other carbon-based household garbage like cardboard and paper. Using hydrogen on a large scale to fuel cars, power plants, and other systems could reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but would require fundamental changes to the entire energy infrastructure. Right, because hydrogen gas, just to take that out of a tank, is it's a whole different kind of a chemical to take out. It's really different. Like you said, a whole different infrastructure. From Spectrum News, a new high-speed train that can whisk travelers between Los Angeles and Las Vegas will receive $3 billion in federal funding, the Biden administration announced. The Brightline West train connecting the two cities is expected to take half as much time as a trip by car and be completed in 2028. The project, not the drive there. The train's cruising speed is 200 miles per hour. The funding is provided through the bipartisan infrastructure law and will cover about a quarter of the cost of the $12 billion project. Brightline West has already received $1 billion in private activity bonds from the U.S. Department of Transportation. The only privately owned and operated inner-city passenger railroad in the United States, 
Bright Line currently operates along a 70-mile stretch of South Florida that connects Miami and Miami and West Palm Beach. I like Miami. Let's use I it. Do. I like that better, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Miami and West Palm Beach. Earlier this year, it extended its service another 170 miles to Orlando. The train is expected to create more than 35,000 jobs, generate over $10 billion in economic activity, and reduce 400,000 tons of carbon dioxide emissions annually. Construction on the Nevada portion of the rail line is expected to begin next summer. Okay, a weekly signals snark special is. You see where those high-speed rails are going in. There's King Tide's coastal inundated South Florida or racing people out to the desert, Las Vegas. It's more irony than I I can handle. But it's just so sad that high-speed rail adoption in the U.S. was not politically possible. I used to interview the Southern California director of the High Speed Rail Project. And I, I had her on several times because I, I, I was very interested in this. And I just kept wondering how far out it would be. Would I be able to ride it myself? Or would I be riding it with my caregiver? Yeah. Or would I be dead before it was installed? And I just, we know how those high speed rails work in the rest of the world. And it's just, it's just so bizarre that it was politically not going to happen. Was it just NIMBY? Was that the well? That's main that. Well, NIMBY's encouraged, but no, that there are vested interests that would not want that. In fact, I think Elon Musk's Hyperloop was a way to get in front of the high-speed rail line. Even though the Hyperloop was never going to happen, we knew that was a crazy, crazy, you know what kind of dream. So all kinds of conventional transportation means were uh, undermining that and also California was being undermined and, and infrastructure being provided from the you know federal support level wouldn't you yeah. have loved to have just hopped on oh, a yeah, yeah. high I speed was, rail for to the bay area i was completely behind that project it just sounded like a wonderful project and like you i was thinking you know, when will it be completed i i would really love to take that trip by train oh, so uh, much right now is right really now. what it was yep. i was thinking you know it could be ready in the 2020s I think it was projected to be ready in the 2020s. There still is with the Las Vegas project, though. There are some tunnels that are a part of that project that are still problematic. So when you said there was, a, was it a 12th of all of the funding has been secured? Yeah. There's still a lift financially and how that geographically is uh, is possible. Going through those, there's some mountain ranges between here and Las Vegas. Yeah, let's take people out to a, an area which is going to be, what, 110 degrees average. Well, that's what I mean. There'll be an years. NBA team there, yeah. but, but <laughs> and they'll be gambling, and but there will be no water. Yeah. From the journal Nature, the number of birthdays you've had, better known as your chronological age, now appears to be less important in assessing your health than ever before. A new study shows that bodily organs get older at extraordinarily different rates, and each one's biological age can be at odds with a person's age on paper. The new research identified about one in five healthy adults older than 50 years old as an extreme ager, a person with at least one organ aging at a higher accelerated rate. One in 60 adults had two or more organs that were aging rapidly. 
The team sampled the blood of more than 5,500 people, all with no active disease or clinically abnormal biomarkers, to look for proteins that originate from specific organs, including the brain, heart, immune tissue, and kidneys. When those proteins varied from the expected concentration for a particular chronological age, that indicated accelerated aging in the corresponding organ. The researchers hope their findings will lead to a future blood test that can pinpoint rapidly aging organs, letting doctors target them for treatment before disease symptoms begin. Did you were you thinking of zip codes being a factor? Oh yeah, that is, yeah. So I'm that's again the front of the pipe instead of the end of the pipe is what kinds of degrading that's happening well, in your major organs. I'm not going to knock this out. I think it, No, it, I'm it saying it's real. I'm just saying the zip code is the driver of who's a member of the 1 in 5 or 1 in 60 yeah. with organs cascading complications in your health. I wouldn't say it's health. the only driver though. Well, Okay, there's <laughs> genetics interacting yeah. with your zip code. Your zip code and and could be your diet, could be your uh, your diet is can be related to zip code if it's diet a food can desert. Can be, yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it is a factor. I'm not yep. denying it's a factor. Your zip code, but I'm saying there's a lot of other things going on too. I like the idea. At least they're getting to a point where they can assess your body to prevent disease from happening rather than waiting for it to happen. From the Journal of Advanced Science, using the skin cells from the surface of the human trachea, the windpipe, researchers created anthrobots, tiny moving robots that can be used for therapeutic purposes like healing scars, repairing tissues, and treating diseases in various parts of the human body. The biggest advantage of anthrobots is that unlike other medical applications, they won't be rejected or trigger an immune response in a patient during treatment because they will be made of the patient's own cells. Moreover, during their study, the researchers found that these tiny robots also promote the growth of brain cells. The multicellular robots, ranging in size from the width of a human hair to the point of a sharpened pencil, were made to self-assemble and shown to have a remarkable healing effect on other cells. In the future, they could be used to safely deliver drugs, heal damaged body parts, detect and kill cancer cells, and clear blockages in arteries. They could also be employed to test drugs without using animals and create engineered tissue in lab settings, which could then be transplanted into a patient. So skin grafts. And from Vine Pear magazine... Researchers using machine learning to distinguish wines based on subtle differences in the concentration of scores of compounds, allowing them to track the wines back not only to a particular vine-growing region, but to the estate where the wine was made. There's a lot of wine fraud around with people making up some crap in their garage, printing off labels, and selling it for thousands of dollars. Oh my goodness. Said Professor Alexandre Pouget at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. You don't imagine someone named Pouget using the word crap. <laughs> it's kind of a shock. While fraud detection is the most obvious application for the program, Pouget said the approach could be used to monitor quality throughout the winemaking process and to ensure it is well blended. From The Guardian, 
The genetic testing company, 23andMe, said that nearly 7 million people have been affected by the security breach that put DNA ancestry information into the hands of hackers who broke into the site in early October. The information includes names, relationship labels, birth year, self-reported location, and other data. I like the other data part. That's how this they, is so unnerving, this yeah, whole... This, the whole idea, the business model of having people pay you to give you their data. I just, it's like yeah. every, they're giving up everything. And now I thought of maybe various sort of official institutions having access to some of that data. But with the hackers, everybody's naked and that, that signed on to that. And people that are adjacent to those that bought the project are at risk. True. That's I, their DNA. I don't mind having people know where I'm from. But that's not it. Here, it's everything. Where I live, but it's the other data that concerns me. It's from the beginning of the internet, I've, I was always warning my friends, just be careful what you give this machine. It's not, it's not a friend. It's, it wants things from you. So if it's asking for your social security number, obviously you're not giving that up. It's asking, asking for your phone number. Well, unless you want to re receive phone calls, don't give them your phone number. This 23andMe is asking for every single password of your body. I don't know if I mind that so much. But then again, if I think about how, uh, I suppose the word is evil, but I think it's more just greedy. It, it does frighten me a bit. The idea that somebody knows this about me doesn't concern me. It's, it's the... Uh, the application how, of yeah, that information. How, how they're going to we're on the same mark there. money yep. out of of me and other people because they have my information. From Los Angeles Times, the inaugural launch of the highly anticipated Vulcan Centaur rocket, which will take off from Cape Canaveral, Florida, is scheduled for December 24th. On board the rocket will be the remains and DNA samples of 338 people, including some members of the original Star Trek TV series. Memorial space flights are hallmarks of the Texas-based company Celestis Incorporated, which began its space flights in 1997. Minuscule capsules ranging in size from a lipstick container to about half a watch battery attached to a commercial space flight with excess capacity. So you're looking for space flights that are going up anyway, and you give them a bundle. like Celest So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Like Celestis's first mission, which carried remains from Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, this month's launch will also include members of the original TV series, including Nichelle Nichols, DeForest Kelly, and James Doohan, that's Uhuru, Bones, and Scotty, on a rocket set to travel between 150 million and 300 million kilometers into space beyond the Earth-Moon system and the James Webb Telescope. Uh, the price... The rocket go. a loved one's remains into space can run up to $12,995.95 for a lunar landing or deep space launch. I don't know. I just get tired of these spectacles. I know. And I, I looked up the CEO, and I, I could oh predict how Charles Chafer looks. So there, I, I, I just thought, I bet he looks like this, this, and this, and I was spot on. And so everybody's got a weak handshake and a, and a hard stare. Yeah. 
but I saw that product online. I thought, well, here we go. We're stratifying citizens of the world. Yeah. Who can jump in that little bullet? Yeah. Our rituals are so funny. And what we do with our them. priorities yeah, are funnier. Our, yeah. <laughs> and finally, from United Press International, a vinyl record of the album Anthology by Junior Walker and the All-Stars was returned to a Boston library more than 47 years past its due date. No fines were issued for its return. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.